This week on Dueling Review, it's the other history of the DC Universe number one from DC Comics. Academy Award-winning screenwriter John Ridley examines the mythology of the DC Universe in this compelling new miniseries that reframes iconic moments of DC history and charts a previously unexplored socio-political thread as seen through the prism of DC superheroes who come from traditionally disenfranchised groups. This issue follows the story of Jefferson Pierce, the man who would one day become Black Lightning as he makes his way from being a young track star to a teacher and ultimately to his role as a hero. You may think you know the history of the DC Universe, but the truth is far more complex. The other history of the DC Universe isn't about saving the world, it's about having the strength to simply be who you are. A lot of talk about uh, the other history of the DC Universe number one. Now this is written by John Ridley, the Academy Award winning screenwriter of 12 Years a Slave and Let It Fall. And this is his take, well-researched take, on the, as DC uh, editorial puts it, the disenfranchised uh, groups of the DC universe. So the first one that we kick off with is Black Lightning. And this is told in a prose method. This is told through uh, Jefferson Pierce's uh, eyes, his voice, his experience. And uh, we kind of get to see what it means to be a black man in a world full of white superheroes. And some of the challenges that he has to uh, to take on, not only in being accepted, but accepting himself uh, throughout the piece. And so from that standpoint, I think that this is an interesting book to read. It is. And I think for me, one of the more fascinating parts about it is that it takes place in essentially real time. In that Jefferson Pierce's debut as a superhero takes place around 1976-77. Yeah. So he would have been in the 72 Olympics when the Munich tragedy happened. Mm-hmm. It locks in, you know, some time period things. Now, some of it has to slide, of course. We see him talking about the debut of Jon Stewart. Well, not only that, the, the debut of Superman, Batman, The Flash, right. Wonder Woman, all of them debuting after uh, the right. 70 Olympics after 72. Well, yeah, that those things all happened 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah, that's that's what's that's what's that's the part of this. That's a little weird is the sliding scale when you're trying to fit him squarely into Olympic gold right. medalist uh, Jefferson Pierce. Yeah. And it is difficult because, you know, you have to look at things like if well, first of all, if Jefferson Pierce was active in 1972, that would make him like 87 years old. So. Obviously, this is an F continuity moment where. Well, but they also don't bring him to modern day, right? They take him through yeah. the 80s when he's yep. with the outsiders. And then he's like, and then that's when I stepped away and decided that I should get back to working with inner city kids as a teacher. But I brought my uniform with me just in case. And we also see the debut of Vixen in these pages in mm-hmm. roughly the time frame that we would have. In fact, I, I like the fact that they have Mary McCabe appearing to him as Vixen or before she debuted as Vixen right. a couple of years before she actually showed up much as you know, the advertisements came out right before the DC implosion saying, Hey, Vixen number one that never got printed. And then she finally showed up in a team up with Superman. Yeah. That was kind of neat. Yeah, no, it's really, the, so there are some interesting things, you know, the whole story is Jefferson Pierce when he becomes the teacher in suicide slums and other places uh, that are poor communities that need help, 
you know, his big motto to the kids is you can't be a boy. You have to be a black man. Otherwise, you're not going to get any respect. And yet he learns what it means to get respect and earn respect by the end. And it's not in the way that he wants. And I know it's very easy for people to get all upset about all oh, the social justice warrioring that's going on in this book is out of control. And it's like, yes and no. And I'll get to the to the no part in a minute. But I think it's interesting to read some of these moments through DC continuity, like when the Justice League first forms and they're fighting Starro and he's talking about how, say for the green guy, everybody else on here is white. And what does that mean to him as a black man and how does that make him feel as a black man? And then when he's, you know, finally given an opportunity to be on the Justice League, they have to test him, even though they've allowed, in his in his words, aliens and Atlanteans and all these other people on the team without a without a blink. When it comes to the black man, they have to test him to see if he's worthy or not. So I think a lot of those those things and I, and I will say that a lot of the um, a lot of the racial tension issues that Jefferson Pierce goes through in this book are not played up as much as I think a lot of people are expecting it to be played up. Uh, it's very subtle in how it's weaved through the story. And that brings me to the and no part of this book. Because if you've ever read any Black Lightning books in the past, and there have only been, what, maybe two or three Black Lightning series? Mm, he's had two solo books. Yeah, well, if, no, I guess he had a couple of solos in the New 52 as well. So, And even in the New 52, though, th- uh, most of the stuff that you would have read, or if you've watched the television show, mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff leading up to uh, Batman and the Outsiders part... Um, you should already know about Jefferson Pierce, right? So him standing down or standing up to Superman and saying, you know, if, uh, why, why do you only come over to suicide slums, uh, when you want to chastise me instead of helping, helping the community, you know, and chasing Superman off, you know, that's stuff that's played out in the comic books before. And that's where one of the things in the DC editorial is talking about how this is carefully researched through all of the appearances of black lightning and all of his iterations to come up with this kind of a defining story of Black Lightning. So I think for a lot of people who have read even Black Lightning Lightning in passing, and I know we have done that on the Major Spoilers podcast a couple of times, a lot of this is going to feel like repeat. Uh, but I think it also has a little bit of an edge, which gets back into getting the ideas and emotions of what it means to be a black man and not just an angry black man or a proud black man, but also what does it just mean to be a black man with other black men, with other black heroes uh, when, especially when he looks at John Stewart and thinks that he is uh, just, you know, a, a stuck up, uh, you know, guy. But then right. when the two of them actually have to have a bonding moment, it becomes not superheroes, but two Too black bad. men who are grieving over an experience or sharing, um, you know, a shared experience and trying to come to grips with that. And that's where you see Jefferson Pierce have a kind of a turn in his life, but you know, the whole thing with uh, the wife uh, leaving him and the two kids, all of that stuff, it's all, it's all in here. So it's not like they're totally twisting everything about the black lightning mythos in this. Yeah. And I really appreciate the fact that as you go through this issue, first of all, this is a companion piece to a book from 1987, the history of the DC universe. And that's part of the reason that it's, it's structured the way it is with so much prose. And then the, you know, the, basically kind of almost poster shots of things. But you see images, we see a lot of images that are literally what we saw in the comic. That image of Earl hanging from the backboard mm-hmm. dead, mm-hmm. 
that first appearance of Black Lightning where he's standing there, the first appearance of Vixen, that first appearance of the outsiders leaping off of the page. All of this stuff is based on and, you know, basically emulating the previous images of the DC universe, which is nice. I really enjoy that. I like the fact that you can get that from this book if that's something like me that you want or would enjoy to see. But it does feel a little weird that this is a companion piece to a 40-year-old comic because I feel like this is a much better book than that one. Well, it's also got a, you know, it's also got perspective and it's got a creator who has perspective on uh, people of color and what their place is in the DC universe. And it's not just about Superman and Supergirl and Batman and Wonder Woman and Flash and all that stuff. You know, he, he makes a point of basically saying, here's what it looks like to be an outsider looking in and being targeted as a as a vigilante on the wrong side of the law when I'm actually doing the exact same thing that Batman is doing and he's hailed as a hero. And so you get to see and feel that. And I think, yeah, I think it is a, a deserved companion piece uh, to see how these marginalized groups live uh, yes. and experience life. And hopefully through reading this, uh, people would get a better understanding of the experiences that these these groups go through. Yeah, my worry is that <clears throat> the usual suspects are going to immediately excoriate this as some sort of SJW nonsense. Right, right. And it's not that. It's not a book that's designed to say you're bad and you should feel bad because, you know, you don't know about Black Lightning or you don't respect Black Lightning. It's not saying that, you know, Black Lightning is the greatest hero in the universe because he's a black man. It's saying that here are the things specifically that happen to Black Lightning in the context of a greater DC universe. And Mm -hmm. it's something that we don't always get from comics. Certainly we've seen racial issues before, but as you and I have mentioned a lot in Legion Clubhouse, one of our other podcasts, it's not something that is always done well. And when it does come up, a lot of times it becomes this very awkward, either pandering moment of, gosh, can't we all do better, y'all? Yeah. Or even worse, it becomes something that kind of undermines the whole point. And this manages to balance, yes, you know, this balances Jefferson Pierce, a man who has these experiences, meaningfully in the 1970s. You know, at a time when all of these things were happening to people, real people, in the 1970s where, you know, Black Lightning actually debuted, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you have all of this stuff happening and it's balanced against the idea of, you know, that Watchmen idea of superheroes with feet of clay or real humans inside the funny suits. And I feel like this works really, really well. And as much as, you know... I usually want to tell the usual suspects to just shut up and read the things that they like and leave people alone. This one, especially if the usual suspects were to start rattling cages, I want them to say shut up and leave it alone because this is well done. Yeah, no, this is really, really good storytelling. Uh, We're recording this live uh, for yep. our patrons over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. We're doing this in our major spoilers of Patreon discord section. And I had asked before we were recording the episode for some of our listeners who are listening live to share some of their thoughts if they had a chance to read the book. And J. Michael T. says, uh, it reminds me of Astro City a lot and older books like Marvel's. I love this kind of story so much, which, 
you know, save for in Marvels, we're looking at this from the normal man, right? From the average guy on the street. Jefferson Pierce isn't the average guy on the street. So, uh, you know, we are getting it kind of from that perspective. And I see how uh, this feels like Marvels, especially when Marvels was done with so much narration uh, and not, you know, a lot of word balloon action stuff. I can get where you feel uh, from that. Uh, it's very good. Uh, Omega Lazarus says, definitely a great, great read. Loved how Ridley wasn't afraid to throw some shade at the Justice League and especially Superman. Uh, the art was awesome. The only thing that kind of threw me was the narration. And I'm pretty sure that all of the books in the series, and this is a five issue miniseries. Um, I thought it was supposed to be longer than that. I thought it was supposed to be 12 issues originally, but it says a one of five here on the solicits uh, bi-monthly. Uh, that will all be done this way, told from the perspective of uh, the uh, of uh, these these superheroes. So we're going to get uh, Mal Duncan and Renee Montoya and um, a couple of others in this piece uh, coming coming down the the line. So my friend I, wants to say uh, Bumblebee, but I'm not sure if she's going to be part of the Mal Duncan story. Yeah, uh, Karen and Mal Duncan are listed yeah. there. Yeah, uh, let's see. Um, there's a lot of prose, says J. Michael T. Great art, but it mostly exists to fill the space around the text. I like that it it could be, um, but it could be an issue for some, uh, which I can get because originally I didn't realize that it was all prose. Uh, and even though the solicitation says right there in this uh, prose uh, telling of of uh, the other history of the DC universe, at first it threw me, but then you know probably about two pages in, I was like, well, I kind of really dig it. And the thing yeah. is, it's not like wall of text; it's not block of text. That we right. see in a lot of books from the 70s, like when we review old Spider-Mans or old Marvel comics, how I bemoan sometimes the wall of text just feels like a slog to get through. That's not the case here. It's kept very succinct. Uh, I would say there's probably less than 100 words on any double page spread. So maybe less than 50 words on a page. Yeah. And that's not a lot. And and the art is just amazing because... Very, when they can, the artist has limited the the panel layout to the point where you're just getting splash page after splash page structured yep. very well. Like when you see uh, the the panel that kind of strikes me was, or the page that strikes me is when um, Jefferson is dealing with his wife uh, leaving him. And it's just this shot of the wall and you see the picture of the two of them on the wall and, you know, the, there's shade on it where you can't you can't see Jefferson in the picture, but you see his wife and then you see the wallpaper and you see the clock and you see that it's late. And then that's really all you see. And it tells you everything that you need to know about why, why the relationship has failed as Jefferson uh, retells the conversation that he's having with his wife on why she's leaving him. And it's yep. super, super powerful. Uh, it's yep. super good. Even in Guided View, I read this on the Comixology app. And if you are interested in buying this book, you can, uh, there's a link in the Dueling Review Notes that will take you to our Comixology affiliate link. But even in the, in the guided view, some of these pages do very, very well. Like when the, um, uh, when the outsiders are breaking up and how the guided view really focuses on each of the characters uh, really is cool. And then when you see the whole page together, it's like, wow, that's really neat. So the art in this is just top notch. This book is made for guided view. Mm -hmm. This book is, is I think the book that you would definitely, you almost want guided view because the copy that I'm reading, yeah, I'm old and I have bifocals. So there are times when I have to lean in real close to see, yeah. but that, that Superman, Supergirl page was probably yeah. the most troubling one for me. I mean, that's a double page spread, 
But uh, thankfully, Guided View could take you right into that area, let you read that, and then zoom back out and see the entire the entire spread. And did, did you notice that Supergirl is in the Kurt Swan pose from yeah, yeah. Action Two Fifty Two? Yeah, it's really good. I mean, it's the whole thing yes. is is done really well. Um, I, again, probably the thing that I will probably see the most complaints about is mm-hmm. from people who will say that there's really nothing new about Jefferson Pierce that we didn't already know. But I would argue against that. I I would, you know, the facts are still there. The timeline events are still there. The time he stood up to Superman, the time that the the Justice League formed by fighting Starro, the time that Vixen appeared, the time that, you know, that uh, uh, Jon Stewart blew up a planet. You know, all of those things are there and we know those things, but it's looking at it from that perspective, just like Marvel's, like J. Michael T. said earlier, just like Marvel's that make this book really work. And I... I really dig it. This is a big thumbs up for me. It is a $7 book, which, you know, my latest thing about how books are getting super, super expensive for no real reason. This is a book that's worth $7. And actually, I would really be willing to pay, you know, 50 bucks for a hardcover collection of all these uh, books when they come in together, providing that's a little bit oversized. If it was an oversized book, I would definitely jump on this. But seven bucks, a little expensive, but still really good. I would agree. Kevin Coley's art is wonderful. You know, there's the the page that introduces Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, Mm -hmm. emulates the covers of Action 1 and Detective Mm -hmm. 27 and Sensation 1 and Brave and the Bold 28. And I really enjoy that sort of, you know, nerdly perspective on it. But then you also have the moments where you focus in on Jefferson, the teacher, Jefferson, the man. You have moments where he's talking. You see Cyanide and Tobias Whale and all the idiots that he fought in Mm -hmm. 76. But then you also see the problems with the Metropolis Police Department. You see Suicide Slum being treated as, you know, at something completely different, as a terrible part of town that even Superman doesn't come to. And it really balances the reality, you know, of being a black man, presumably in the seventies. I believe John Ridley is, would have been growing up in the seventies. Yeah. I, I think in one of the interviews, he talks about reading black lightning, maybe as a young, um, as a young kid, uh, he's yeah, he 55 been, he years old. Been 12 so. in 77 when the book came out. So he's a few years older than you and I. Yeah. He's 55. Yeah, so you, I mean, you have to look at this and just appreciate the deftness with which they have balanced these real world issues and also the crazy over the top superhero stuff mm-hmm. and still made it a good looking comic, made it a fun read, and, you know, made me go, hey, I know that pose. Yeah. And yeah. really put some heft behind. I mean, if you've read the Justice League issue, where they attack Black Lightning to quote unquote prove that he's worthy. Mm-hmm. It comes across as Black Lightning being kind of a jerk and talking, you know, the jive turkey talk that he talked to hide his identity and just telling the haughty toddy JLA off and the Justice League going, oh, well, yeah, this justifies that mm-hmm. weird off brand moment from 1978. And that's fun for me that's really wonderful when you have a book like this that can take you know things where you look at the the you know the iran uh, hostage problem in 1979 in this book the tragedy of munich in 1972 is in this book also cosmic odyssey where john stewart accidentally blew up a planet in this book and well, they're balanced in a way that makes them all 
feel realistic and meaningful. And that's hard. And again, going back to the just the subtleness of saying, well, while these things may have been great or good or these were important moments in history or whatever, here's how it's a backstab to the black community, especially in this book. When it gets to the 1980s and the you know, it's the dawn of a new age or not dawn of a new day. And how he's like, oh, yeah, everyone was so excited to have Reagan there. He got the the uh, the the hostages taken care of on his first day in office and everything was great. Of course, years later, we find out how he did that. Uh, But then he's talking about, well, you know, Reagan made in his speech. He talked about this, this. And then he also talked about the welfare queens. And that was a huge kind of uh, slur in the 80s uh, to to denigrate black people um, to just say that they're just, you know, people living off welfare. They're not worth it. And so. Even in this change of history, Ridley is talking about how this was still a negative impact, almost a step backwards for the black community. And of course, then that leads to uh, his move into the outsiders and everything with that. So, again, a a super good book. I'm giving this a thumbs up. I'm guessing, Matthew, you're giving this a thumbs up even at seven dollars. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Six ninety nine. I'd pay nine ninety nine. Don't let DC hear you say that, because next thing you know, I would pay four ninety nine. There you go. There you go. And hey, how did, how did we get to this uh, book? Uh, it's pretty simple. All of our fine patrons, and actually all of our listeners, That's went right. over to uh, patreon.com slash major spoilers, Matthew. That's correct. You do not have to be a patron to vote. You just have to go to our major spoilers Patreon page. You will look for a post that will say, say right now, dueling review for December 2nd, 2020. That's what happened last week. They chose the other history of the DC universe from all of the other turnip man books that they could have chosen this week. But next week, there will be different books. What will it be? Steven, what will it be? Well, since we're on DC, coming out next week from DC uh, Comics, it's Deceased Hope at World's End, issue number 15. We also have Far Sector number 9. Uh, the Green Lantern gets a trade paperback collection. And we get uh, Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Wonder Woman, War of the Gods number 1. A five ninety nine book right there. Also, Strange Adventures uh, uh, number seven arrives next week from DC Comics. In all the rest category, Boom Studios has Buffy the Vampire Slayer number twenty. Also, Lumberjanes End of Summer number one. Now that's an oversized book. That one I think has like almost seventy issue, uh, seventy pages in it. Uh, Six ninety nine is the cover price there. Dark Horse Comics has Bill and Ted are doomed. Doomed, I say. Oh, they they're all keychains and and uh, uh, patches and those kinds of things. Also, uh, Hellboy BPRD, her uh, fatal hour uh, arrives for three ninety nine. Spy Island number four, the final issue in that series, and Stranger Things D and D crossover number two. Dynamite Entertainment next week has Betty Page number four uh, and Sacred Six number five, as well as others. You can see the complete list over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. IDW Publishing next week has My Little Pony Transformers number one of four. That's a second printing there. Probably don't do second printings of comics yeah. for anybody that wants to cast their vote. Also, we don't do trade paperbacks, so keep those out yep. of there. And we uh, don't do reprints of weird stuff like the dollar babies and the things that come around every once in a while. Yep. It's like, hey, Batman number one. Yeah, the facsimiles and stuff. Image Comics yep. next week has Walking Dead, the deluxe edition number four, Ink Blot number four, and that Texas Blood number six. It's got a mystery rating after that, so be careful of that one. Marvel Comics next week has Amazing Spider-Man number 53.LR and an Amazing Spider-Man 55 poster. We also get Black Widow number four, Daredevil number 25, Ring in Black, oh, I'm sorry, King in Black number one kicks off next week. Oh, Matthew, I know you're excited about that one. I fell into a pile of burnt. No, wait, that's the Man in Black. Yeah, also the Union number one arrives next week. And all the rest category... 
We have, let's see, what do we have in all the rest category? We have Graveyard Wars uh, gets a graphic novel release for $24.99. Heavy number three, Laurel and Hardy Christmas Follies number one. We also get Rent a Girlfriend, a graphic novel, volume four. It's also got a Mr. Rating there, Matthew, so be careful. And we're going to wrap up our list this week with uh, uh, Vampire Night Memories, K-N-I-T-H-T, K-N-I-G-H-T, yes. Vampire Night Memories. Graphic Novel Volume 5. Those are just some of the books coming out next week. As we said, head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers. Look for the post, then look at all of the stuff that is uh, coming out next week. And a lot of you who are listening live have already been busy. Oh, you busy little beavers uh, over there trying to get your comments and, and heard. And of course, everybody wants to do this early. We're looking for right now, I'm going to challenge all of our listeners. We're looking for 40 people to get over there and cast their votes. 40. 40 people. Yep. Now, you're listening right now and you say that, well, I don't need to do it because 40 other people will. But if you do it, then you only need 39. Yep. Well, right now, we only need 34 because six people have already voted. Uh, Scott Pittman says he's hoping for Justice League Endless Winter. Justice League Interwinter says uh, uh, Baluey. Stranger Things and Dungeons and Dragons says Mark Smith. Marshall says My Little Pony and Transformers number one. And uh, Michael Thomas, uh, J. Michael T. No, that's not J. Michael T. That's Omega no. Lazarus, isn't it? Uh, says uh, Justice League um, yes. Endless Winter, please. So um, looks like right now Justice League Endless Winter is running in the lead. But that can all change by Sunday. Don't wait. Get over there. Cast your vote. Get over there and do it early. And uh, we'll be back next week to review a book that uh, the majority has suggested. And we will also be able to hear Matthew say, A string for my time would sure be This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.